When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you heard it on the news? About the fascist group thing? Evil men with racist views spreading all across the land. Don't just sit there on your ass! Unlock that mighty chain dance. Sisters, shoot your best. We don't need this fascist group thing. Brothers, sisters, we don't need no fascist group thing. Brothers, sisters, we don't need no fascist group thing. History will repeat itself. Cross this point when near the hour. Calipers will do no good. Hello, this is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update, the podcast that asks the question, is America a failed state or does it just really seem like one? Um, I am coming to you on the 22nd of August, Saturday. I just had a great conversation with Mark Laxer, who's an author and former member of a cult, and... Smart guy that has a lot of insight, not only into the cult dynamic, but into how it's kind of spilled over into American politics. And I want to be really careful when I say that, because I don't want people to think that, like, Trump is unusual in the sense that he's, like, from outer space, or that he's, like, uniquely terrible in a way that no other leader has been, or even that he's the biggest threat to regular working class Americans that is out there. There are any of the things that people are saying. I really feel like, and I think Mark agrees with me and other people who have been looking at cults for years, um, there's a dynamic, a power dynamic that exists between certain leaders and certain followers that is universal. It gets expressed through destructive cults also gets expressed through politics sometimes, fascism, that that branch of politics, if you will. And I think what we're seeing through things like QAnon and through the way that Trump's base is being weaponized or being whipped up and the way conspiracy theorists are using being weaponized to whip up the base, I think we're seeing a very dangerous dynamic that we've seen in the past when it comes to fascists taking power. It's so bizarre to me that QAnon has become relevant and is becoming more and more relevant and important, and there's actually more to share on QAnon and the culty kind of aspect of the far right that's being weaponized by Trump. But here we are. This is uh, American Politics circa 2020. 
So I am talking to Mark Laxer in this episode. He was the uh, author of Rama Trauma Trump. I left the cult and now look what happened. It's kind of like those like beginner's guide books. Really interesting kind of nonfiction, illustrated. But in this case, it's not about, you know, Sartre or Benjamin Franklin. It's about what it's like to live in a cult and then what it's like to get out of the cult and realize that the cult is now in the White House. Which is all my way of saying I really liked the comic book. You can find it at ramatramatrump.com or check out the link in the show notes. And without further ado, here is Mark Laxer. Brothers, sisters, we don't need no fast moving. Brothers, sisters, we don't need no fast moving. My name is Mark Laxer. Uh, when I was 14, I started being interested in understanding the world beyond what my parents and the New York Times and the science community was telling me. So I started exploring uh, different ways to meditate and, and mysticism and things like that. My mom got a little bit worried about that. And she said, hey, why don't you go talk to the rabbi? But the rabbi is very erudite, but didn't really have a handle on uh, the path that I was interested in following. So I found a meditation teacher who was charismatic and interesting and fun and had a PhD in literature and just was a really cool guy. And I watched him and helped him rise to power um, and then watched him um, and didn't help him uh, hurt a lot of people. Um, so that became uh, gradually a, not just a cult, but it gradually became a destructive cult. Um, so that's that's kind of my story. And the interesting thing about that is that after I left, um, I, you know, grappled with what happened. I wrote a book called Take Me for a Ride, Coming of Age in the Destructive Cult. It's one of the first, one of the early free books on the internet, part of Project Gutenberg, Take Me for a Ride. And I guess what happened was I started looking not at cults, but culture. And uh, some years later, like recently, I was looking at society and just saying, looking at particularly the president of the United States and saying, my gosh, this sure does remind me of the destructive cult leader that I helped rise to power. So that's why I came up with this uh, book recently. It's kind of a graphic, uh, I didn't say novel, but it's nonfiction, a graphic story. It's only 32 pages, more like a PSA, a public service announcement. It's, a, it's basically my first book in graphic form where the person gets, a young guy gets in and out of a destructive cult, grapples with uh, his experiences, including some really dark stuff, and then looks around at the culture, at the country, at America, and says, you know, I, this is just like being in a destructive cult. And that's this is the, my third book. This graphic book is called Rama Trauma Trump. I left the cult and now look what happened. Now the cult's everywhere. 
Yeah, exactly. It's you, but I, I also have to say, Lenny, that it's not like Trump, President Trump, Donald Trump is is exactly like Rama, like a Jim Jones. No, he's not. I don't want to overstretch my case. However, there's an awful lot, and I am using the word awful. That's intentional. I'm a writer. Um, there's an awful lot of similarities, um, and including the disdain for checks and balances, which sort of, as I studied in, in school, is sort of the foundation of the Constitution. And there's a, a disdain for um, sort of checks and balances on perceptions of reality. Like this guy is like massively distorting reality. I think professionals call that. I'm not a professional. I'm just some guy. Uh, they call that gaslighting. So let's say, you know, you and I are talking, Lenny, and then, you know, you're interviewing me and I, and I say, I start cursing at you, you bastard, you, and I just like really shouting at you. And you say to me, Mark, we're on the air. Why, why are you behaving like that? And I say to you, what are you talking about? I didn't just do that. That's called gaslighting. It's like messing with someone's sense of reality. Trump does that like several times a day, just about. And um, these are things, and also the disinformation bubble. So that is really what helps define like what's a cult. Um, that's what cult leaders do: is they create flows of information to their followers that is controlled. They don't really want people to, I mean, 1984, if you've read George Orwell's book, um, it's all about this. And it's just about the flow of information. And, and this is how people form their identity and their sense of reality. You can control that. Um, that, you know, autocratic leaders love that sort of thing. Let's get back to that point in one second. Cause I think it's really interesting, but maybe first we can back up a little bit. Um, what was the name of the cult um, that you ended up getting involved in? And like what year, what time frame are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. So the guy, okay, so it, it was called different things over different times. Newsweek called this guy the yuppie guru. Uh, his name was Dr. Frederick Lenz. He was called Atmananda. Then he decided in 1980, I met him in 1979, um, and then he was a student then of this guru named Chinmoy, who Carlos Santana and John McLaughlin, the musicians used to study with, which is kind of cool. Like we'd be sitting there and like, you know, I, <laughs> Carlos Santana sitting next to me. He was like, Hey man, I really like your music. Hey man, cool. Uh, but, but then Atmananda um, moved to California ostensibly to recruit for the guru. I went with him with three inner circle women a few years later, now we're looking like 1983, um, Atmananda declared that he was like this Hindu deity um, named Rama, the last incarnation of Vishnu. That's kind of steep hierarchy there. I mean, that's another thing that defines a cult. You know, <laughs> you know, this guy used to be my friend, and now he's like this last incarnation of a Hindu deity. That's you know, and normally, like you might say, Len, you know, Lenny, you might say to me, well, Mark, you know, you don't sound like a totally stupid guy. Why don't you walk away? Um, and uh, it's hard. 
because that's where a lot of my friends were. And I helped build this community. We had you know, like a thousand people at that point. And people, the other thing is really seductive. Like people, like a thousand people, I was like eight, uh, 19 years old. People looked at me like I was like a demigod. And that's really seductive for anybody, no less a 19 year old. And uh, yeah, then he became, uh, what did he call himself? Locked me and they started charging a lot of money. And uh, anyway, I hope that responds to your question about the time frame. I left in 1985. I started writing a book, took uh, some number of years to write. Then I got sued $30 million as a way to, um, as a way to silence me. Um, and and uh, you know, I was living in a Volkswagen bus at the time, writing and, you know, going to college and uh, finishing my English degree at UC San Diego. And uh, I don't know, I guess I learned a lot about myself, not only through the cult experience, but in the post-cult experience, I learned that I don't scare so easy. Um, I, I guess my response to the $30 million lawsuit was to put Take Me for Ride, my book, outlining my experiences in the cult on the internet for free. It's been there ever since, and it's actually helped a lot of people, which is cool. Yeah, that's great. And um, so was his lawsuit, did he know you were writing a book, or what was the lawsuit? About? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They didn't like they didn't they didn't like my book, and they were trying to scare me. And uh, he was actually clever because uh, Rama Frederick Lenz, who's since committed suicide, but um, uh, he, he, he back in those days he had one of his students sue me for a lot of money. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that's again, what is what are words in the media and the press? Why is that important? Why the founding people of our country talk about the, the media is important, like a fourth branch of government, because it checks autocrats' power. One thing I think that really unites cult leaders and Trump or just any authoritarian is, and you can tell me if this is same in your experience, there's no basic like truth or or um, there's no basic truth. There's no basic ideas that have to be adhered to. There's no basic principles. It's really anything goes as long as it furthers the man or person in power's interests. Um, is that what you experienced in the inner circle? I, I think it, I think it is. I think that's a good characterization, uh, characterization, Lenny. I, I would say, I don't know if this is a slight shift on what you're saying, but I, I guess in my words, I would say the cult is any group or idea or person that is really intense and folks are really focused on. A cult isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, in my mind, I, I, my take on it is that the people who don't get involved in cults are generally pretty boring people. Cults are things to explore. Um, I'm, t I'm going by like the dictionary meaning of the word cult. And I, I take dictionaries actually fairly seriously. Um, what, what you're talking about, I think, if I could be so bold, is destructive cults, are destructive cults. And where do you draw the line? Where does one draw the line between a cult and a destructive cult? And that's where 
your question or your comment as of a few minutes, a moment ago, uh, comes into play. It's like when you have an intense group, for instance, like you have a cult of Gandhi. That's not, in my mind, that's not a bad cult. How about the cult of democracy? Um, people die for this sort of thing. Is that so bad? I don't think so. Um, the cult of you, so all sorts of cults that are benign. Um, but in my mind, when you as an individual start losing your voice, your identity, your sense of self, and your the 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 checks and balances where you can and are encouraged to say oh and I'm going to the great in my mind I'm going to the great state of Missouri here where someone says something and you say oh yeah show me you know Missouri is like the show me state show me let's see it and that is I think kind of a healthy way to push back from abusive, narcissistic personalities of which there are many. Um, so uh, I guess with, in my situation with uh, Rama Frederick Lenz, I mean, he called himself Rama. So let's just call him Rama for a minute. He's got all these names. So um, when Rama would start the thing is, when he declared that he was this Hindu deity, he all—he didn't just do it out of the blue. He's a smart guy. He had us fasting for 14 days, and he was chipping away at our self-confidence for years, and we hadn't slept for a long time. And that's when he springs this, this power move on us. Think of it as a kind of a coup. Um, and so, you know, people are sort of weakened at that point. And, oh, and more and more, our abilities to say, so for instance, I, and I remember it well, because I was sharing a house with him and these three women at the time that he had this coup. And so I think a reasonable person in a reasonable system, a system that I would now uh, promote and, and hold up to the light and say, this is the way to do it, would say, oh yeah, hey, that's really cool, Fred. Show me, prove it. Um, and let's see the facts. And push back, not necessarily in a mean way or not necessarily in a grouchy way, but uh, here's another example. Let's say that somebody, let's say, I, this is crazy to say this, but let's say there's a global pandemic, right? Sounds like sci fi. And let's say that, like, <laughs> There's this virus that used to be in bats or some crazy ass thing like that suddenly gets into the human population and, 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 and people are dropping. It's not like the flu, but like a lot of people are dying. Grandma's dying. It's horrible. And there's no vaccine and there's no this and there's no that. And then the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, comes out and makes some insinuation about putting laundry detergent or household disinfectants into your body as a way to, to combat this, this, this very powerful virus. I think it's fair to say, show me, let's see the evidence, prove it. 
Um, and, and I don't see any difference in that sense between Rama, the Rama trauma, and Trump. That's my book, Rama Trauma Trump. You know, com. You get the book for free. But the thing is, Trump has, he's just a, a, a spout of stuff that is not, including the QAnon stuff now. I mean, he's, he, he, he does not want to push back against QAnon because it's the same sort of thing. There's some guy out there or some guys, or maybe it's men and women working together, making up stories. In, in some kind of like an alternate, I think it's called ARG's alternate reality game. And they're just making, sh- excuse me, I don't know if for your podcast if I could use this word, but they're making this shit up, Lenny. And, and there's no checks and balances on it. And it's just uh, that that's, you know, this conspiracy stuff, you know, like go to DuPont Circle in this pizza shop and bring your weapons or, you know, there's pedophile rings and stuff. Or Rama is saying, I'm the last incarnation of Vishnu. There are all these evil entities that are infecting your soul unless you give me a lot of money. You know, maybe, you know, maybe that's true, but prove it. Show me. And. In, in, in a healthy society, in a cult, not in a, not in a destructive cult, in a healthier organization, the leaders, the hierarchy, the system will encourage checks and balances. You know, it's like cult studies or, you know, cult journalism, I guess is, is kind of what I do. Um, it's really interesting because it's like, when you say cult, like, for instance, I was, like, investigating this cult that I truly believe, the reason I was interested in the story is because I truly believe that people were being taken advantage of. It wasn't the worst cult in the world. It wasn't, like, Jonestown. But, you know, people were getting taken advantage of, and I think it was important to let people know what was going on. And I found um, that when I mentioned I was investigating a cult or talking about a cult... People looked at me like I was the crazy one, <laughs> not because I was like promoting a cult, but because I think cults are so far afield of most people's experience or they think it's a it's they think it's something they don't experience or they think it's just something to be relegated to like trashy TV so that like when you even bring up the concept of cults, people are like, oh, this is like a kind of a wacko. Um and I wonder, like, is the fact that, like, and I definitely think that, like, after reading Stephen Assange stuff and talking to you and reading other stuff, I definitely think using the cult framework is the true, accurate, best way to understand what Trump's doing. But do you find that just, like, when you use the word cult, people kind of, like, tune out to your message? <laughs> uh, I'm laughing out of frustration, uh, Lenny. Uh, the answer is yes. I think that society thinks or feels that cults are taboo and they're different. They're odd. They're someone else. I think cults are all around us. Um, We just don't like to acknowledge that any steep hierarchical abusive relationship where some people are gaslighting you and 
chipping away at yourself. I and mean, there are cults, there are individual cults situations where people are in an abusive relationship or it could be a spiritual organization or it could be the political on the political level i see it on those three levels um i think they're all around us people don't like to acknowledge that and i find personally so i've got this free book People I've spoken with really like it. Um, I was just speaking with my writing mentor, someone I met in college decades ago who got me started on my writing career at UC San Diego. Uh, her name is Patsy Sims. Um, so she, she used to lead a, a, a graduate writing program at Goucher College and has many books out, including on the, clan, the Ku Klux Klan and so on. Um, she read it and she just said, she said, she doesn't understand why this is not this book. Rama trauma Trump is not being discussed on the national level today. And what's happening is I'm reaching out to journalists, to news media and to the democratic organizations that, you know, DNC and move on and all these people, um, and also like Lincoln Project and, you know, Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post and all these people I admire. And I don't get a single, I've been doing this like 14 hours a day. Why? Because I'm concerned about our country. I've been doing this for weeks, 14 hours a day. And guess what kind of response I get? Zero. Z and I'm a good writer. So I write a nice pepper letter. Um, and, you know, with press releases and all sorts of official things. I get zero. And I think what's happening is, and I think, and I was talking to Steve Hassan and he's getting sort of the cold shoulder from the media as well. And he's published by Simon Schuster. Um, I think that I agree with you. I think the way to look at Trump, and this is not in a, I'm not trying to be mean to Donald. He needs maybe more pity than meanness. Um, but he's very destructive. He's like a child, as Barack was saying the other, uh, the other night. Um, and, and Trump is incapable of leading in any kind of um, safe or healthy way. Um, but I do think that, um, that there's something taboo about using, like, you know, Rama Trauma. Trump, I left the cult, and now look what happened. I think journalists should be knocking. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make, make any money off this, but I, I think my door. I think people should be knocking down my door to interview me because I understand cults and destructive cults as an insider, and I'm being completely ignored. It's the weirdest freaking thing. I think it's completely taboo. I just don't have the feeling that, like, Trump is some unique, completely deviant, completely out of left field, you know, Martian who's landed on the Earth and is like a unique, <laughs> a unique uh, destructive force. I think he really, he's a symptom. His rise is a symptom of a lot of things. Like, if we make him an other or, or try to, like, put him in a realm of human experience that's try to pretend that it has nothing to do with like the rest of society. It's like, we're kind of missing the point. If that makes any sense. No, 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 it, it absolutely totally does. And, and with all respect to her um, or, you know, whatever 
I think Hillary uh, Clinton made the mistake, um, and it was sort of a nasty thing to say of like referring to those supporters as a basket of of deplorables. Is that the term? Something like that. And and that's that's not how I feel, um, and that's not what is. Um, but I guess my my concern, you know, I don't think Trump's from Mars or outer space. He's from Queens, New York, which is where I'm from. So it makes that's a little scary, um, either for him or for me. I'm not sure sure which. But um, there's enough scary to go around. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to compete with good storytelling or com- let's not I mean not good story compelling storytelling yeah, yeah compelling narrative people are really kind of excited and some of these people are absolutely they're not basket of deplorables these are super wonderful cool hard-working americans and when i bicycle across the country these people were so generous me i feel like they're part of my family um red state blue state blue state red state people just turn off and people say we don't support government we want to tear this goes to the name of your podcast this is the this is going to be the death of our country um i think we're not maybe not a majority but a large percentage of the population does not believe in government and wants to dismantle the institutions that do X, Y, and Z, such as help us during a pandemic or have relations with other countries or all the functions of government. Like what if there's a fire in in California? Um, What if there's a pandemic? All sorts of things that government does if you tear that down or ensure fair voting and, and stuff like that in the post office, um, if you want, if you hate government so much because it's boring or for whatever reason, because you don't trust people who are educated, who actually know what they're doing, they have competency, they understand how viruses work. If you tear that down, then you get what we are now getting. And you get a failed state. Forest fires, you know, widespread natural disaster or uh, coronavirus um, or even just a president who doesn't care about democracy. I I think if the, of one of the many things that the Trump presidency has proven, it's that like our democracy really has no way of dealing with somebody who becomes president and just doesn't care about our democracy and is just willing to use all the various aspects of government as a way to like gain power or you know kneecap the people that he doesn't want to have power um and unless and i think this is kind of your project with this book and with my podcast and Stephen Hassan's books and stuff I think the cult dynamic is probably a, you know, like one kind of specific way of looking at power that's really useful, but it like falls under the umbrella of just like human power relationships and how we exploit each other and how we, you know, try to protect ourselves from being exploited. I I agree with that with with uh, a little bit of pushback. I think the framers of the Constitution 
did or do have in place something to take care of this specific situation. The only problem is that we, to me, it comes back to this book I read when I was a kid uh, by John F. Kennedy is called, it is called Profiles and Courage. And it's about at different times when people cross their party line because it was the right thing to do. And, and Kennedy cites this senator and this congressperson and so on. The problem, Lenny, is that at this particular time, there would appear to be a single person with courage in the, on the Republican ticket. And his name is Mitt Romney. The rest of them appear to have exceptionally little to no courage or backbone. That is the institutional pro problem and huge challenge and may lead to the demise of our country as a democracy. Um, but I say that just as an addendum to the point that you made uh, about educating people and creating a different framework, which I agree with. If we're used to thinking of power and politics in a way that's not holistic or realistic or doesn't include this thinking about authoritarianism and what happens when people or groups of people take advantage of the system and how to rectify that. I mean, it's just, we can't even get everybody to vote. Like, how are we going to get people to, you know, go out of their way to, you know, try to fix something that has a, that has a little complexity to it. So, yes, thank, thank you for saying that. So I recently, um, like a week ago, finished reading a 500-page book called I Will Bear Witness by Victor Klemper. Uh, Klemper was a professor in Dresden, Germany, who wrote a diary about you know, being a Jew during the Holocaust. And it's incredible how he survived that, because everyone else just about around him got shot or gassed, uh, murdered. And in reading this book and really getting like a day-to-day blow-by-blow situation about what the Nazis were doing and how people were attempting to survive, I got a very powerful sense, and it very much resonated with 2020, that democracy is not a given and often it hangs on a thread and you know as you were just saying you know people don't vote or people believe in this QAnon stuff and there's no checks and balances and stuff like that so it's really kind of a precarious situation where um if your friends, you know, people, young people don't get out and vote or, you know, whatever, uh, if good people, bad things happen when good people do nothing. Um, if, if people don't stand up, 
we will lose this. I don't think that the United States in 2020 is a whole lot different than Germany in the late 1930s. And I I say this by looking at the poll numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, speaking of the book club, I was reading this morning, Friendly Fascism by Bertram Gross came out in the 80s and um, was basically, you know, a look at like how this Bertram Gross character thought that, you know, fascism would be, you know, adopted in the United States. But it begins with like a summary of like, you know, you know, how fascism took hold in Germany and Italy and Japan and um, in Spain and in Spain. Yeah. With Frank, though, I just, I just read this amazing book by George Orwell. It's one of his nonfiction pieces called Homage to Catalonia, Catalonia. And guess what, Lenny? It's all about how the left can't get along. And they're all shooting at each other, and Franco is just <laughs> laughing. Ah, <laughs> people can't get along. Wow, I, I I should pick that up. I haven't read that in about twenty years. So. Oh, it's just a brilliant freaking book. I'm not saying it's a happy book. No, it's definitely not that. It's not. It's not that. It's it, it in some weird way. It kind of reminds me. I don't know. Have you seen that movie, 1917? Uh, no. Highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so a little dark. What's that? A little bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> a little dark. dark story. Yeah, but you know, Gross, he he made kind of made the point in his book, and I don't know why. Maybe I understood this intellectually, but I never really got it. You know, you know, I'm I'm reading about how the German state, in a very methodical way, used racism to put itself together and buttress what it needed to become authoritarian and it kind of you know occurred to me that i think i always thought of and i i think a lot of people think of you know a state like nazi germany as these people are all racist and they become you know and they're and and someone like hitler's able to take the racists and utilize them to create this authoritarian state where it's very clear that this racism was encouraged and manufactured in a lot of ways. Sure, racism is there, but it was weaponized and utilized to, you know, it's like the opposite. It's not like they were fascists because they were racist. It's like they were racist because the fascists <laughs> established that. And then I thought, oh my God, that's QAnon. You know, that's like the social networking that the far right is using in QAnon and Pizzagate and other things. The weaponization of conspiracy theories to create this fertile ground, you know, perhaps the ground's already fertile, but to even more so to create the situation that becomes full-blown fascism. It is my opinion, having been reading a lot about this and reading the latest uh, Senate report, um, bipartisan Senate report, and Mueller's this and that, that some of what you're talking about russia is behind and is encouraging i'm not saying they're all of it but if there is this groundswell of conspiracy shit russia is like hey you know um natasha (laughs) we this one's gonna be easy you know it's like 
we're walking, we America are walking around um, with a big sign on our butt saying, hey, Russia, kick me and kick me right here. And you could do it from your homes. Just get broadband over and, you know, whoever's office and you can do this. And, and Mark Zuckerberg's going to help you. And don't go against Mark Zuckerberg because he is the most powerful person. I'm, by the way, I'm not a conspiracist. I'm not like, you know, the world is trying to get me or anything. But the fact is Mark is the most powerful guy in the United States. He is the kingmaker. Was there anything, when you're looking at Trump, or I'm going to ask this question in a couple ways, but the first pass, I guess, is um, is there anything like looking at Trump or like his leadership style or just how he carries himself where you were kind of like watching him and you kind of realized you were looking at Rama? <laughs> you know, there were parallels or you were kind of in Groundhog Day, you know, like, could you compare and contrast? Uh, yeah. Sure. I'm um, everything he says. <laughs> um, the 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 ability to spout out to gaslight. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll tell you, Lenny. The thing that most speaks to what you're asking is the lack of empathy and. A, an internal is I'm talking about something internal to them, and it's just my perception of it. There's a lack of internal check. Like for instance, if you, let's say you know you get on the radio or you're you're at the you know the Democratic convention and you have you know a few hundred million people watching you, you would probably have some sense of your own checks and balances, like you, you, you boundaries, call them. You just like, you wouldn't say this. And I would as well. And most people would people with a moral framework would, I think that I sense and I observe, uh, in, in, uh, observed in, in Rama, and I observe now with, with President Trump, that doesn't exist. There's no, there's no, um, gosh, you know, th there's no connection with reality or there's no sense, there's no empathy. Um, it doesn't exist. It's a void. It's, it's a darkness. And it's, it's, in that sense, it's kind of scary. It's like a lack of human um, connection. You know, I was trying to, I did a short film a few years ago. It was like in the run up to the 2016 election and a journalist friend of mine and I were like in West Virginia and Southern Pennsylvania, like interviewing Trump supporters and kind of seeing where their heads were at, you know? And, um, and while I was doing that, you know, when we edited the video, we I was, like, going through Trump rally speeches and just trying to find, like, a clip of, like, Trump saying one thing that, like, 
like a, a short passage of Trump saying something that was meaningful and made sense, <laughs> literally just like something that somebody would hear and it like beginning to end made sense and was coherent. And I had the darndest time. It was like damn near impossible. And right around that time, I was also working on a project about the people's temple. So I had, I was almost in the exact same spot looking for like, you know, um, Jim Jones would go on these like all night rant rants. He was probably on crystal meth or something. And he was like, you know, people would be captivated and it was the same. I was looking for just like a little soundbite and it was almost impossible. It was like, so stream of consciousness and random and up and down and all over the place. Um, would Rama communicate that way? Did you get that sense from him, or was he? Is, is that common he had to cult stream leaders? Of conscious, but he had stream of consciousness. I think there were times when he was very together. You know, he had his PhD, and he, you know, he he was pretty grounded at times. But then he'd go on these kind of these rants, where you know, these I sort of think of them as like paranoia paranoid schizophrenia or he would go into these psychotic states um and things didn't really you know it it was anger it was um it, it was it was definitely disconnected um and it got worse and worse over time now that's one of my concerns with with mr trump and that is sometimes these uh, debilitate these forms of mental illness get worse. And I, I'm not a professional in that sense, so I should be a little careful about what I say here. But my understanding is that if people have certain conditions, um, it doesn't necessarily get better. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever lack of empathy or gaslighting or he in other words if he starts thinking that he's some kind of godhead trump just like rama did he sort of makes his own reality as he goes um something is real because he says it is that's scary that's getting to the jim jones level um and it's a, I don't know if you call that a, a state of psychosis, but we don't really want the president of the United States to be um, <laughs> someone going through that. That's uh, not a good thing. No, definitely not. Um, but I, I feel like we're close to it. Like, you know, I understand, like, people think about cults as, like, the cult bubble as being something that only affects, like, the followers. Like, you know, like the cult leader will manufacture a reality around them and only say certain things to them and people will only do certain things and it kind of like diminishes their experience of reality to to the point where what the cult leader is saying makes sense to them even if it doesn't make sense wouldn't make sense to somebody just walked in off the street but people don't like think about that also applies to the cult leader if you're there and people are saying yes to you all the time you know and they're like you know indulging your every whim and i don't know that that's much different than a president you know who surrounds himself with yes men and women and people who have no backbone who aren't going to stand up to him or aren't even going to like well he's fired all the people with, with oh backbone, yeah or they've left like jim mattis he had backbone he's a good man 
uh, and a great leader. Um, I agree with your, your, your observation. I really do. I think that the office of um, cult leader <laughs> um, affects one and degrades one mm-hmm. um, so that one over time, frankly, gets more and more disconnected from uh, what I would refer to as the real world. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of checks and balances and the difference between a authoritarian leader and a democratic leader is that the the democratic leader, you know, almost it's like it's like they have a a duty to themselves and to the constituents to like let themselves be critic criticized and let there be opposing viewpoints, but really in this sense, it's also actually like an important survival mechanism for any person to have somebody to call you on your bullshit, to keep you grounded, and to keep you from spinning off into the, you know, into the atmosphere. Good, good leaders have that. That's yeah. really important. Um, even really sharp, successful, super smart, strategic people, they have their staff and sometimes they have their chief of staff and then they have trusted advisors who may not be officially on staff, but um, you don't really just want people who are going to agree with you on everything. It's just not healthy. Cause then it just becomes like a house of mirrors. You know what I'm saying, Lenny? It's just like, you just see yourself and you get more and more taken by yourself. And it's like, Hmm, Maybe I am like Jesus, you know, and, and let's leave Jesus to Jesus. I mean, that's not for Donald or Fred Lenz or, you know, so, someone who is trying to build a, a following or someone had a rough childhood. Jesus is a different situation. Um, but people, you know, that's the title of my first book, Take Me For a Ride. People want that. And so there's this natural inclination of people coming up to a leader and say, you know, take me for a ride. Tell me a good story. Tell me a story about pedophiles in a pizza shop in DuPont Circle. I want my life is boring now. You know, I have this sort of desk job or, you know, this, you know, I'm out in the fields every day and it's kind of dusty or whatever it is. I'm working in the shop. I want something exciting. I want to feel like I have power. And I think Trump delivers that to many, many millions of people. And the further it gets disconnected from anything that's healthy or viable, um, it starts becoming more and more like a destructive cult. And at what point does it become like, whoa, this is a destructive cult? That's for each individual to figure out for themselves. Sure. Yeah. So, um, thanks for talking. I really appreciate it. Um, I think we should get your comic book into some people's hands and, you know, not only to inform them, but I think to, you know, share it with your friends and kind of just get this conversation going about like, there is this cult paradigm, this way of looking at the world through the frame of like the power relationship between a guru and his disciples and applying it to like, what we see around us in our democracy, I think people will really be illuminated and, you know, might really do some good. I, I hope so. And I, I, I really appreciate you talking with me. 
And I guess what I'm hoping that comes from this and things like this, this kind of discussion, is that over time we will see that we are not living in a failed state. I hope you're right. So the book is Rama Trauma Trump. Correct. And the subtitle is I Left the Cult. And now look what happened. <laughs> but the whole book is up there on the website, and there's, there's videos of the book and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and I'm just giving it away for free because I feel like that's the right thing to do. So that was Mark Laxer, author of Rama Trauma Trump, I Left the Cult, and now look what happened. I had meant to do kind of like a deep dive investigative episode where I really got into some of like the latest about QAnon and the cult of Trump. But, you know, and so like this was going to be the first part of that episode, but I started talking to Mark and I just thought it was a great conversation and I wanted to just throw the podcast up as quickly as possible. Um, I know it's been a few weeks since I've had an episode. I have been out of town and also trying to finish uh, this book I'm working on, and I just had to let something slide, and it was the podcast. But uh, for all those who emailed me or direct messaged me, fear not, there will be more episodes of Failed State Update. Just like the Failed State itself isn't going anywhere, isn't getting any better or rehabilitating itself, the uh, Failed State Update is not going anywhere either. So uh, check out the show notes for links uh, to learn more about my guest and learn more about this show. And I will see you later. I won't see you later, but, you know, I'll be back. The man in the White House who just don't care The star's little kid and he dies in his hair Now what could make him think that way? What could make him act that way? From outer space Send them to destroy The human race They don't give a damn about You or me They just buy guns And watch TV Yo!